0: Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9am at Discovery Church in Boise where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill.
1: All right, guys. Well, thank you for being here. Let's pray and we'll jump in today. Father, I just want to thank you for every person that's here. And also just want to honor your presence with us this morning. Just recognize that we're not sitting in a room alone, but you're with us. And also, God, that everything that we want to accomplish today through worship and through this talk that we have, there's nothing that I can say or do to change anyone else. Um, No sermon can do that. Only you can change our hearts. And so, God, I ask that in my own heart, in the hearts of each person listening today, that we would just surrender. Um, that we would be willing to learn from you and learn from each other. So we thank you, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so it's 2012, and I'm sitting in a living room. And I'm surrounded, I'm with a family that has a couple young kids, uh, a pair of empty nesters, a single guy in his 40s, and me. And this is our small group. Many of you have probably been in small groups before, and we're going through this study about what it could look like if we all were willing to do whatever it took to radically follow Jesus. And I remember the first two weeks of this study, there was like this real electricity in the room. Like you could feel it, that something was happening. And we talked about what it could look like if we'd move into neighborhoods together uh, to love our neighbors and share the gospel, or if we were willing to sell our excess and give it to the poor. There was just this like buzzing excitement in all of us, about what could happen. And about week three or four, that electricity started to wane a little bit. And week five, by the time week five rolled around, it kind of felt like sub-freezing temperatures in March. We're just like, when is this gonna be over? <laughs> Ready to move on to the next thing. And I think the reason that that feeling sort of waned over time is because we recognized that all the things that we were talking about, all the things that we were initially excited about, we realized that it wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't in the cards for us. It seemed too hard. It seemed too difficult. The gap seemed too wide between where we were and where we wanted to be. Now, I imagine that this feeling's not unique to me, right? I feel this feeling occasionally. I allow myself to feel it. I mean, many of you, if you've been in a small group, a lot of you are in micro churches here at Redemption Hill. And the idea of mission, of being missionally engaged in our community can feel really, really overwhelming. It can feel like a daunting task uh, to figure out how to solve. But we know on some level that each of us and each of our church, micro churches, each of our communities are called to serve. We're called to love. We're called to be a light in the world. But we feel stuck. So how do we go from feeling stuck? to a place of humble love and service where God is calling us. And I think as Jesse mentioned last week, this is something that we really cannot do on our own. We cannot be the light of the world on our own. Um, We need Christ in us. And so we're so so dependent on him. I think one piece that makes this really difficult is we live in a really highly individualized culture. I'm sure you hear this talked about all the time. How we like go home. We don't even know our neighbors. We pull into our garages and close the door behind us. And I feel like it's like this individualization is getting even more intense these days with like ring doorbells, you know. There's like these, we put cameras, (laughs) there's literally like this much wood separating us from the people standing outside our door. But that's still like way too much. Like we're not opening the door to talk to them. I'd rather just look at a screen and talk to them through the screen, you know. And I've even noticed, so we've been thinking about like xeriscaping our front yard because I'm just tired of paying for water on my lawn. Can I get a witness, right? It's ridiculous. And so we've been like looking at different xeriscape options. And so we'll like walk around the neighborhood and see what other people have done. And I've noticed this like trend that's happening where there are like these random panels of almost like fencing that people are putting up in their yard, like single panels of fencing with like the address on it. You know what I'm talking about? And there's like slats in it and it's like really trendy and mid-century modern. But I just feel like it's another just like obstacle for people. You know that these things are just going to keep popping up and you feel like you're walking up to somebody's house to like a neighbor's house just to say hi. And for an introvert like me, there's like all these barriers, ring doorbells, and I feel like I'm charging the beaches at Normandy. It's like so intense. And we get this like fear in us, right? It feels so difficult to know how to engage with our neighbors and how to to love our neighbors neighbors, and the people that God has put in our lives. So I want to read a story to kind of help us see partially the value and reason why God calls us to this. And it's actually in the Old Testament. It's 1 Kings chapter 17. So I'm going to read it off the screen here. It says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, There will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. I'm going to read the whole chapter here, so brace yourselves. (laughs) Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by the Kareth Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son." For this is what the Lord God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord has promised through Elijah. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then he said to Elijah, O oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child, there, or over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. So a lot of things happen here in this text that I think are really important. So there's, there's a famine over the land. There's a drought. There's been no rain. Um, and God tells Elijah to, to leave the place where he's comfortable and go to this place called Zarephath um, to be with this widow, which I think is a really interesting experience, Really interesting scenario because he doesn't send him to like this place where there's lots of food, lots of resources. He sends him to this widow in Zarephath. This woman was likely not a Jew. And it was outside of Israel. We see this from a story that Jesus tells in the New Testament. But yet Jesus tells Elijah to go there. And so Elijah shows up at this place. And he's not even the one who offers a lot of what we talk about when we talk about um, loving our neighbors. The one who offers biblical hospitality is this woman. This potentially non-believer who invites Elijah into her home and gives him the last bit of her oil and bread. And ultimately, Elijah is blessed by this, and the woman is blessed by this, right? Elijah is blessed because he gets a meal. And there's actually, there's a midrash, which is like some some rabbis who kind of talk about what the text means, what's happening in the story, kind of behind the scenes. There's a lot of Jewish rabbis who wrote, they're the Sanhedrin, probably heard of them. They're in the New Testament as well, not for the greatest things, Um, but They say that part of the reason why they think that God sent Elijah to this widow is so that he could be confronted by suffering in the world that he was unaware of, right? Like he's sort of by himself in this brook, um, eating the, the bread that God's bringing him through the crows, through the birds and drinking water from the brook. But he's somewhat potentially disconnected from the suffering in the world around him. Well, God calls him to this place, and now he's confronted face-to-face with the suffering that's present in Israel, largely because of this drought that he's called down on the nation. So he's benefited by that. He grows because he says yes to God's call to go to this neighbor, this person who's a foreigner, who's not familiar to him. This woman also benefits, right? She receives this incredible blessing of unlimited oil and flour. That's super legit. It's like Walmart delivery in the Old Testament. It just never stops. And so she receives this blessing, and not only that, but she comes to faith, and her son is resurrected from the dead. This simple yes that Elijah gives to go to this place where he's not comfortable, to receive hospitality from someone he doesn't know, and incredible things happen. And I think This is something that we often miss when we think about loving our neighbors and caring for the people that God's called us to care for. It's It's not just about the other person, right? God wants to use these experiences, calling us outside of our comfort zone, to change us. I would say some of the most meaningful experiences of change that I've experienced in my own life are these experiences where I've said yes and I have no idea what I'm doing but God uses those spaces to change me and shape me. And I believe that as a community as a whole, as Redemption Hill, and specifically within our microchurches, God wants to use this missional component of our calling to change us and shape us into the people that he wants us to be. God uses our guests not only to bring the kingdom outside of us, but in us. A few years ago, I, I read this book called *The Art of Neighboring*. It's a really good book if you're stuck in what to do as missionaries in your neighborhoods. This is a, a great book; I'd highly recommend it. I got super stoked on it. Um, I was—I read it. I bought a few extra. Cars, the church I was at at the time to preach a sermon series on it, and my wife and I actually got really good at it. Like we—we we saw all this fruit coming from it, and i it was like 100% my wife. Um, I had, like, these big dreams, and my wife was the one that just pushed me out the door and made me do it. But anyways, it was, like, this really, really fruitful experience. And then I moved into the neighborhood that I'm in now. (laughs) My neighbors were so easy in my last neighborhood. We had, like, all these just, like, cool experiences. We were playing, like, Uno with old ladies at our, like, dinner table, and it was just so fun and easy. And then we moved into this neighborhood, and... God was just like laughing the whole time. He's like, you thought you were a great neighbor. Here you go, buddy. Try it now. And I have this one neighbor who would describe herself as challenging. Like this is not me saying she's challenging. She, this is how she describes herself. The kind of neighbor who like when you pull into the driveway, you have to open your door slowly or you might hit her in the face because she's already there. The neighbor who you like wake up from your nap and you're like, I, I wonder why she's walking around in our backyard. I, I don't understand what's happening. And just all these instances of like really unique, unique experiences. Um we actually actually when we moved into the neighborhood, this will just give you a little picture. When we moved into the neighborhood, multiple neighbors on our block had signs in their yards trying to get this woman removed from the neighborhood. It's it's that serious. And I was just like, OK, here we go. And it was, it was hard for me, like really, really hard where I was like all about neighboring before. I'm like, God, I don't think it works. I think you want me to do something else. <laughs> and but Mar- Marianne's always been re- she's really good at it. And it was like annoyingly good at it. You know, we're like, how does this not annoy you? Like anyway. I'm not going to rant here. This is not about me. So for the longest time, 6 months it was really hard and I feel like God's really begin begun to produce some fruit in that relationship and open my heart to being a good neighbor to her and loving her and even advocating for her with other neighbors. But I don't I like I really don't believe that God put me in that neighborhood for her. Like I think he put her Next to me, for me, like it's about so many times about changing us and shaping us into the people that He wants us to be. So, how do we how do we do this? How do we move from living reclusively in our no, own neighborhoods and move our ourselves as individuals and families and even micro churches from only hanging out with each other to being the hope of the world world where God has placed us. I think really specifically in my life, and when I think back to that small group, there are some specific lies that hold us back from doing things that God has called us to do and is with us in. Oftentimes, this is one I think that we all feel. It's this idea that we're too busy. You guys feel that? Like we're, we're really busy. We're going all the time. And I think that's a, that's a lie that we're too busy and it, not maybe for the reason that you think I do think that we're too busy, but I don't think it's to be with the people that God's called us to be. I think we're already with the people that God's called us to be with. Like we live right next to them. We go to soccer games with them. We go to PTA with them. We drop our kids off at the same schools that they're they're at. The problem when it comes to busyness isn't that we don't have time to be with them or see with them or interact with them. It's that we're too busy to hear the voice of God. It's that we're too busy to recognize that he's with us in those moments, calling us to be with them, to hear them, maybe even opportunities to invite them over for dinner, share the gospel. I don't know what it is, but God wants to speak to us in those moments, in the people that we're already with. The who that God is calling us to is already around us. It's not a where somewhere, way off 99.9% of the time. It's a who, and you probably already know that who. Also, is this feeling that we're not good enough or that we're alone, right? It's funny how being in a room full of other people who are like-minded and want to engage the mission of God, that as we think about this, we can still feel so alone in trying to come up with a solution. Like, who am I supposed to serve? Who am I supposed to love? We're supposed to go together. We're not alone. And finally, and I think this is the one that gets me the most. It's this idea of go big or go home. Right, like the mission of God has to be this like spectacular front page thing where I'm going to create this partnership with this nonprofit. They're probably going to give me some super cool award. You know, like that, that's, that's the way I think. I'm like this big visionary and I think it has to be these giant steps. But really, it's so simple. I'll give you an example that hopefully will stir up some potential creativity in your mind one of the first things that we did when we started our church was we decided to go out on our first gathering, just go in two-by-twos and pray, for, pray or talk to each other, get to know each other, and learn about what the other person is passionate about. What's something that you care about in the world? What's something that you want to see God do in the world? And from that simple idea flowed more conversations about people we know and things that we want to see change. And my wife happens to work with a a woman who is single and has three kids and has a legitimately hard time putting food on the table. And so it started as like one time, like, hey, let's, I'm going to make food for her. You guys want to come over and let's make food for her together. We'll make freezer meals. And so we did that. And all of a sudden, we've been creating this rhythm of every like few times we gather now, we're cooking, we're making meals for this Lady and her family. And it's like so simple. Like, I would never think of that. Like, I would never think of someone so close to me and an act so simple that could bring the kingdom of God into the spaces where we live and work. But Marianne did. And so we did it. And now we have this incredible opportunity to bless this woman and show her what the gospel looks like in real life, to show her what the kingdom looks like. In real life. Um, and this sort of like mentality is just kind of like rooted itself in our church in a lot of ways. And we're not, we don't have it figured out. We're not perfect by any means. But we're having dinners, we're like scheduling dinners to eat with co-workers who are not believers, just so we can show them what biblical community looks like, what it looks like to love each other. And I'm going to guess that each of us here know people that are like that, that could maybe use a friendly presence, that could maybe use a meal, that could maybe use an, a listening ear. We all have people like that that are really, really close to us. In the fourth century, there was um, an emperor of Rome named Emperor Julian. Not I don't know about you, every time I think of Emperor Julian, I think of the dude from Madagascar, the lemur, you know? not that emperor julian a different emperor julian he was known as julian the apostate and he he followed constantine constantine like tried to make rome a christian rome a christian empire and julian switched gears and went back to uh, pagan worship and he persecuted christians and he he's so he's a persecutor of christians and he writes this letter to this high priest in galatia of all places And he expresses in this letter this frustration to this high priest. He's like, we don't do anything for the poor or care for people. And yet the atheists, Galileans, those are the terms he uses for Christians at the time. Um, He says, these atheists and Galileans are in our streets every day, caring for our sick and for our poor. It's all this stuff is already in us. It's part of our tradition. It's who we are. Like I think it when I think about that, it feels so far away. But at the same time, that sort of identity of who we are as Christians, as people who care for those around us, it's it's in us. It's in our DNA. So here's, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna leave us a little space. This is the best part of the sermon. It's when I stop talking. I'm gonna leave us some space to circle up in microchurches, all right? And maybe you're here and you're not part of a microchurch. That's okay. You can pray with whoever you're with. But I want to give us some space to actually pray together as microchurches, identify maybe who God's putting on our hearts, and then talk about how we're going to go together. We might not have time to cover all of it today, but I want us to begin that because like we talked about earlier, what we want to see in the world, like this story of early Christians, Serving the poor and sick in the streets, we can't do that on our own. I can barely go knock on my neighbor's door alone, right? Like it feels so difficult. But by praying, I, I truly believe this, that God will do the work for us, that he will identify the people who desperately need people like us to insert ourselves into their lives. And he will give us the courage and boldness to step out and love them like he's called us to. He'll bring the people to mind that we need. So if the band wants to go ahead and come up, I'm going to pray. And we're just going to have a little bit of worship, a little bit of music in the background. But I want you to really focus on who God is bringing to your mind. So let's pray. I'm going to pray while you guys can go ahead and gather around with your microchurch. Father, I thank you so much for who you called us to be. For the fact that you not only call us to be yours and belong to you, but that you give us this daring mission to go love the world. Following you is so much more. God, it's so much more than sitting in a pew and listening to a sermon. You invite us into this incredible adventure of trusting you. You Give us the opportunity to witness miracles like Elijah witnessed when he saw this young boy raised to life. And God, I can't help but, but wonder, but imagine and dream about what you would do if we said yes, like Elijah did. And if we were willing to pray like Elijah did, like I can just, I picture Elijah right now. It says he laid his body over this young boy's body. Like he literally laid on top of him. Three times and begged God to move, begged God to give him life. What if we, as micro churches and as a church family, would begin to pray that way for I'm our mutings, would get, begin to pray that way for our community and say, God, whatever it takes, life, let there be life in my neighbors, let there be life on the block that I live in. Let there be life in the parents that I coach with. Let there be life in my co-workers. Only you can do it, Jesus. But you can do it. And we say we believe. And so we ask you, God, in this time to be present with us and to move in us, God. Fill us with a hunger, a hunger, see your simple gospel change the world in the most simple of ways. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Voices. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.